0: Well, good morning. Today uh, we are concluding our sermon series entitled uh, Life, Living in Faith Every Day. If you uh, haven't been with us before, just a quick synopsis of what we're doing. We are looking in the Old Testament, and New Testament, pulling out stories of faith where individuals in a variety of circumstances demonstrate some aspect of faith. And then we're trying to take the lessons we learn from those stories and those people and then applying them to our own lives as we seek to honor God and to follow God in faith in here in the 21st century. Today, though, we're going to be focusing, as we conclude the series, on a topic uh, that's kind of correlated with faith that we rarely talk about. The topic of, of doubt, of doubt and, and faith. You know, uh, all of us probably at some point in our lives have had doubts. And, and I would say that doubt in and of itself is not sinful or wrong. In fact, doubt can be a catalyst to a deeper understanding, to a deeper faith to greater spiritual growth. And as I've thought about this issue of faith and doubt, I've concluded that our doubts tend to fall into three primary categories. First, there are intellectual doubts, right? Um, these would be doubts that are most often raised by those outside the church or faith, but sometimes they, they pop up for those in the church. Questions like, is the Bible the word of God? Is it accurate? Is it real? Can we trust it? Is it relevant today? Or questions like, is Jesus Christ really the son of God? Was he really not only human, but also divine? And did he really rise from the dead? Doubts like this and others are raised by all sorts of things in the culture. Books like the Da Vinci Code or the so-called Gospel of Judas or are controversies that can get stirred up by contemporary atheists uh, such as Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris or Christopher Hitchens. So there are intellectual doubts. Also, secondly, there are spiritual doubts. Those tend to be doubts of people maybe who are already in the faith or inside the church. Questions like, am I really a Christian? Am I really saved? H- have I truly believed? Why is it so hard to, to pray or to read and understand the Bible? Why do I still feel guilty? Why do I still struggle with certain patterns and sins in my life? Why am I not improving in those areas? And then third, there are circumstantial doubts. This is probably the the largest category of doubt because it encompasses all the the whys, the whys, w h uh, y s, so the whys of life, such as why did my child die, why did my marriage fall apart, why can't I find a spouse, why did my friend betray me, where was God when? I was being abused. These are the questions we meet at the intersection of biblical faith and the pain of living in a in a truly fallen world. My, in my experience, these, this last category of doubt, circumstantial doubts, can sometimes be the toughest doubts of all. And we tend to try to avoid them because we're not sure if we want to dig into them very far and But when we refuse to deal with circumstantial doubts, they soon become spiritual doubts. And then spiritual doubts grow into intellectual doubts. And then people begin to reject the faith and walk away from the church altogether. So as we approach this topic of doubt, there are a few things that we need to understand up front. First, many people think doubt is the opposite of faith. But it isn't. unbelief is the opposite of faith. Unbelief refers to a a willful refusal to believe, while doubt refers to inner uncertainty. Secondly, many people think doubt is unforgivable, but it isn't. God does not condemn or reject us when we question him. In the scripture, there are countless examples of people who had doubt. For example, David and Job in the Old Testament both repeatedly questioned God. Questions like, where are you in the midst of this? Why is this happening? Why was I even born if I was going to have to go through this? Where are you, God? What is your plan and purpose? They question, but they are not rejected or condemned. God is big enough, in other words, to handle all our doubts and all our questions. The third thing that we probably need to remember up front is many people think struggling with God means we lack faith. But that's not true. I mean, think about it logically. You don't wrestle with someone or something that you don't believe exists. Struggling with God is a sure sign that we do have faith. If we never struggle, our faith will never, ever grow. So it's not wrong to ask questions. We see it in Scripture. God has given us a mind, after all, a mind to analyze and to think, to seek understanding, to wonder. I mean, that's why there have been so many incredible inventions and innovations and discoveries throughout history. God has created us in his image. He's created us to search for truth, for meaning, and for purpose. And sometimes in that search, we can run into sort of a cul-de-sac or a roundabout intellectually where we circle around and around and can only get so far and get stuck because we're human and we're limited in our ability to understand and to know. And when we find ourselves in that position, my observation has been that we as human beings tend to approach that sort of situation in one of two ways. We look for reasons to believe or we look for reasons not to believe. I've also observed that faith tends to come easier for certain personality types for whatever reason. Some of us struggle with doubt a good portion of our lives. Others seldom do. And that bothers me sometimes. Why should it be harder for some to believe and easier for others? I don't have a great answer for that question, but I do believe this, that God makes us each unique with different personalities, with different strengths and challenges. And if God has made you with a mind that analyzes that questions, that sometimes finds it hard to believe, that's okay. Some of the heroes of the faith had big doubts. And if that's you, then... I encourage you to continue to seek understanding, but do it from a place of looking for reasons to believe. Because from my perspective, there are far more reasons to believe than not to. We don't have time to get into this very far, but just one example, a couple examples. What are the odds that the earth has placed the right distance from the sun with the right mass so that gravity works with a perfect mix of gases in the atmosphere with the right mix of water and land and elements to sustain life the the odds are astronomical what are the odds that the cell and the atom essentially a highly complex mini computer just happened to fall together in the right order in combination that led to human and animal and plant life if you had the ability to separate them all out all the parts out and just threw them into a box and shook it or put it into a blender and hit blend what are the odds that the cell and the atom as we know them would emerge I believe that we can know God personally, that there are reasons to believe, and that we can know the answers to many of the big questions in life. As we seek him in prayer, as we study his word, as we observe the world around us, as we question and dialogue with fellow believers and do life with them. But there will always be a small minority of big questions and circumstances that we cannot get answers to, or at least answers that are completely satisfactory. That's why it's called faith, because God wants us to trust him and he wants us to rely on him and he he wants us to seek him. So to get a little bit more of a biblical perspective, let's focus on on Thomas, who doubted and how Jesus dealt with that doubt. So in John 20, Jesus has appeared to all the disciples except for Thomas. We're not sure where he was earlier in the week when Jesus appeared to the other 11, but he wasn't there. Verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. In other words, Thomas is a skeptic. That's why he's commonly known as Doubting Thomas. I mean, he wants to believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. He wants to believe that what he's poured his life into these past three years following Jesus is worth it. He wants to believe, but he, he just can't yet. That's not how he's wired. He needs, he needs more. So how does Jesus respond? Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here in put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. It's interesting to note what Jesus does and what Jesus says. Obviously, Jesus, the risen Christ, knows specifically what doubts Thomas has. We can see that by, by his statement to Thomas. It parallels Thomas's doubts. He says, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side. Jesus does not scold him. He doesn't avoid him. He doesn't reject him. He doesn't make him feel silly or ashamed. Rather, Jesus invites Thomas to bring his doubts to Jesus, to test his doubts against the risen Christ, to express his doubts to Jesus, to reach out to the risen Christ with his doubts. So what's that say to us? Whatever the nature and scope of our doubts, Jesus knows them specifically. And he's not going to reject us because of them. Instead, he invites us to bring our doubts to him, to reach out to him as the risen Lord. You see, doubt does have its uses. Deep doubt is often the prelude to an even deeper faith. I love the way Frederick Buechner expresses it. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. That's true. It's a wonderful truth that some of the greatest doubters often become some of the strongest believers. And honest doubts once resolved often become the bedrock of an unshakable faith. It has been said that no truth is so Strongly believed as that which you once doubted. Os Guinness once wrote, The shame is not that people have doubts, but that they are ashamed of them. Again, faith isn't stepping forward without doubt. Faith is stepping forward in the midst of doubt and questions. But you might be thinking, "Okay, that's nice and all, Doug, but why does it have to be that way? Why does doubt often seem to be a part of the Christian and human experience? Why doesn't God just make it easy and answer all our questions? Give us total certainty. Help us believe beyond a shadow of a doubt. Wouldn't that make it easier for us and for the people that we know and love? Let me try to answer that question this way. I want you to know that in my left pocket, I have a $5 bill. I know you can't see it, but I'm going to ask you to trust me that it's there. You can take my word for it. Here, who here believes that I have a $5 bill Not all the hands went up. That's kind of disappointing. (laughs) Although maybe you've interacted with me on a personal level, so maybe that that has something to say about it. Well, if you answered yes, you have a $5 bill in your pocket. That's faith. What you're doing is weighing all the evidence that you have, your experience with me or what your perception of me is, and then you are taking a well-informed step forward. But now watch as I destroy your faith. As you can see, I clearly do have a $5 bill in my left pocket. And as soon as I show you what's in my pocket, you don't have faith anymore. You have knowledge. You have total certainty, which by definition doesn't require faith. And so if I hide this $5 in my pocket again and now ask you how many of you believe it's there, all of you believe with total certainty. It's not a matter of faith. It's total certainty. It's based upon knowledge. In experience faith is no longer needed. Well, for his own reasons, God has not allowed us to see things with absolute certainty to follow him without any trace of doubt or question. And though I don't know all God's reasons for requiring faith, I have a hunch that one of those reasons has to do with trust and relationship. Could it be that what God ultimately wants for us and from us is for us to place our faith and our trust in him even in the midst of doubt and uncertainty. And while knowledge and reason and experience and the rest are a great help to begin to cross the chasm between what we believe and don't believe or what we know and don't know, God doesn't want us to place our faith in those things, but in him and in his faithfulness. So listen to this. Think about this. I think that what's most important in the end is not even the amount of faith, A person has or doesn't have. Ultimately, what's most important is in what or in whom you place your faith. In the book, The Case for Christ, Lee Strobel uses the following illustration about faith. Maybe you know that uh, before we moved to Kansas, we lived in Canada, Nancy and I, for three and a half years. And, And most Canadians understand that there are two kinds of ice. There is there's thick ice and there, of course, is thin ice. And you can have enormous faith in thin ice and still end up drowning. But you can have very little faith in thick ice and it will still hold you up just fine. In other words, you can strut out onto the thin ice with total certainty. It will hold you up and it won't matter a bit. You're still going to fall through. And even if you're filled with so little faith that it takes you a couple hours just to venture a couple steps out onto the ice, if it's thick enough, it doesn't matter how little your faith is. The ice will hold you up as long as you step out onto it. Hebrews 11 says this about faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Jesus said this, something along the lines of faith, when he said this to his disciples. Even if you have have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is a tiny, tiny faith, You can move mountains. Nothing will be impossible for you. So again, it's not the amount of faith. It's that we have faith. And it's what we put our faith or in whom we put our faith. We can have tremendous faith, absolute certainty that there is no God out there. That he does not exist, but still it's not your certainty that's important. In absolutely certain atheists, still falls through the ice, if at the end God does happen after all to exist. And I believe personally that he does. On the other hand, your faith in Christ may be small today for a variety of reasons. It exists, but it may be hounded by all sorts of doubts and questions and uncertainties. Observations from your own life or the world cause you to have doubt. And yet, if in the midst of those doubts, you take a wide-eyed step of faith forward toward Christ and after Christ, I believe the ice will hold. I bet my life on it, that after all is said and done, that the ice will hold. In the New Testament, usually the word faith is is used as sort of a verb, an action word. It involves stepping forward. In fact, the Bible says that faith without action, without, um, action is a dead faith. So faith cannot be just simple mental ascent. Faith is, again, stepping forward in trust in the midst of doubts and uncertainties. Faith is continuing to pray even when we don't hear anything back from heaven because we trust God when he tells us that he always hears, always answers according to his will. Faith is being generous with our resources when it doesn't make a lot of sense economically because we trust God when he tells us that we're actually more blessed when when we give than when we receive. Faith is obeying God's laws and commands when it's the last thing we want to do because we trust God when he gives us the command that he does it out of love and for our own benefit. Faith is treating our enemies with love because we trust Jesus when he says that revenge and bitterness will consume our souls if we do not. Faith is enduring tragic times in life with hope because we trust God when he says that joy and peace and life will have the final say. And in the end, it is the faithfulness of God in Christ Jesus that will hold us up. Jesus Christ, the object of our faith, does not and will not fail us when we step forward in faith. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are saved By the grace of God through faith. May God strengthen us as we pursue him in this life. I'm going to end our sermon and our sermon series by showing you a video. Um, Tom Hemmer has been a part of our church for several years. And he'll be sharing in this this, uh, video a little about his story of doubt and faith.
1: Hi, my name is Tom Hemmer. Uh, Pastor Doug asked me to provide uh, my testimony and story as part of his uh, sermon series, in particular how it uh, deals with doubt and with faith. And I think that's an appropriate story for for me to tell because doubt has has played a significant role in my faith story. It uh, being skeptical or doubtful is sort of part of my. Personality, how God made me, I guess. My mother called me Doubting Thomas from a very young age, long before I'd ever heard the story of the Apostle Thomas. And so uh, skepticism has kind of been my default setting. It's been how my brain's put together. And it's uh, that skepticism has largely served me very well in my life, in school, in my career, and in business. Um, and so I've been very comfortable as a skeptic and comfortable, too, as a as a Christian, a a skeptic of of the Christianity story. Um, My faith story, I was raised in a church going home. Uh, My family was Catholic and uh, we attended church regularly uh, until my parents divorced when I was about nine years old. And after that, there was uh, certainly much less emphasis on church attendance and on faith in our family generally and uh, I would say I went through most of my teen years and then uh, the bulk of my uh, early adult years as a religious skeptic, as, a, as an unbeliever. I think I, for most of that period, would have described myself as an agnostic. Uh, I wasn't hostile to uh, Christianity and its message, but I just didn't believe it. And, uh, and I didn't think there was a lot there that would inform or, uh, or strengthen my life. The one snag that I had with respect to my skepticism, probably the one thing that kept me uh, in the ball game in terms of uh, of uh, searching and thinking about these topics, is that I had so many good friends uh, that were believers, and they were good friends that were very uh, smart and intellectual, and uh, so it was hard for me to reconcile my. Uh, lack of belief with the belief of so many people whose opinion and uh, intellect that I respected. So uh, probably foremost among that is is my wife, and and, uh, I I met my wife, and I I knew she was a believer. She knew that I was not, but I think she saw uh, potential in me and was willing to uh, take me on uh, despite my not being a believer at the time. Um, I think the most important decision I made, though, with respect to Maggie, was that I was willing to learn and willing to hang in there and continue to, uh, to go along that faith journey and look and discover. Um, certainly, once we had kids and started ra- raising kids um, in, uh, in, in First Covenant Church, um, it was brought home to me even more how important uh, a faith background is to these kids. And I really um, benefited from the profound wisdom that they brought home to me uh, from the Bible verses they would learn at Sunday school and at at Christian school. So um, I think like uh, a lot of people, I got to a point in my life where I just became skeptical of my own skepticism. My disbelief was probably a bit of an easy cop-out. And I started to think more deeply about uh, questions of faith. I think what really changed for me is that at a relative early age, I achieved a lot of the goals that I had had, uh, at least the earthly goals that I had had um, in career and in family. And, and I still felt a certain uh, degree of emptiness, that something was missing. Is, is this all there is? And so what I realized through pastoral counseling and through uh, my study is that, uh, you know, I really needed uh, faith in Christ in my life in order to be complete. And uh, I think uh, if I had to point to a day or a time, it would have been four or five years ago that Pastor Doug did a, a sermon talking about how sometimes you can't see the whole picture until you step across Uh, the divide and become a believer. And I think from that time on, I decided that I was going to approach this subject, not as a seeker and not as a skeptic, but as a believer. And I was going to pray and read and study and and fellowship with other Christians uh, in a way that made that really real and meaningful. And it's worked very well for me. I've uh, had uh, still have a lot to learn, still have doubts and questions, but I will say that uh, it was a great decision I made to accept Christ into my life, and it's, and it's changed my life in, in many meaningful ways. I won't go into all of them, but I, I will say that uh, being a Christian uh, makes me more tolerant of other people, uh, makes me uh, more forgiving, uh, probably more conscious of my own failings and my own uh, sinfulness, and there is uh, a humility and, and liberation that comes from that understanding. And, and, and it's really been a great opportunity to be a part of a, of a, of a Christian church family like I have here at First Covenant. Um, in terms of advice to others, if you're struggling with doubts, if you, it just doesn't make sense to you, my advice is just to pour in all the harder into uh, prayer life, uh, Bible study, and fellowship with other with other uh, Christians who are believers or mature believers that can help you along on that path. I think it's it's uh, I think as long as you aren't uh, giving up, as long as you aren't uh, succumbing to apathy that uh, you can find your way to uh, the the grace and love of Jesus Christ. But it just, uh, uh, sometimes it it happens in its own time. I would also suggest uh, don't wait for the clouds to part and lightning to strike or uh, an angel to appear in a shaft of light. Sometimes Christ's magic, his calling to us, happens in a very subtle and gradual way. And uh, we need to be to listen and hear his calling and accept it no matter how it comes so that would be my advice to others who struggle
0: to pray with me heavenly father we thank you that um, you have created us for uh, a journey of faith with you a walk of faith with you each and every day we thank you Uh, that you want us to be in a relationship with you, to to grow and and learn to trust you more and more. Thank you, Father, for giving us uh, minds uh, and personalities that sometimes question and analyze and look around at the world around us and and, and wonder. Uh, Lord, um, we thank you for that ability, Lord, and we pray that rather than those abilities and questions leading us to a place of unbelief and lack of faith, but rather, Lord, that we would Push deeper and push farther, that we would look for reasons to believe, we would bring those things to you, and that you, as I know you will, Lord, that you would reach out to us, that we would encounter you, Lord, in in reality and in truth, that you would grow us in our faith, Father. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you, that we are saved not by the amount of faith we have, but rather, Lord, we're saved by your faithfulness. And so, Lord, regardless of whether we, wherever we are today, help us, Lord, to take steps of faith, to step out onto that ice, to step out and put our trust in you, Lord, and in you alone. Thank you, Father. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.